to Citizen Dame, the podcast where things are really depressing and sad, but we're going to try to find something good in all of this. I am Karen Peterson, joined as always by Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Like I said, when I was looking at the agenda this morning, I was just like, I, I honestly had a flashback. I was just like, oh, this is like, you know, Back in the early days when <laughs> all we did was talk about how terrible everyone is in Hollywood. It's awesome. True. It's true. But first, before we get into all of that, Lauren, how yes. are you? I see you bragging with your name on the <laughs> cranium screen I'm, today. I'm very hot. I am very hot. <laughs> it was, the weather report in New York is it's fucking hot. We have gone from like... 60s like mid 70s to like 89 in a day literally in a fucking day wow and i'm sitting here going like i wanted to go to the park today i wanted to like go in manhattan i'm just like no i'm gonna sit on my balcony and drink aperol spritzes like that's what i'm gonna do (laughs) too hot meanwhile in la it is 60 degrees so what the hell that's not that's not what's that's not the direction it's supposed to go the high today in the town I'm in right now is 69 degrees. That's the high. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't know. I don't know. It's, nothing makes sense. No, it doesn't. And it's supposed to stay just in the 70s all week. So that's pretty great. Anyway. But uh, yeah, I I opened up Zoom this morning where we record and I just see Lauren is hot. And I was just like, why are you bragging? I mean, it's (laughs) true. (laughs) At every level, it is true. So so I am sitting here in a tank top because it's fucking hot. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) Well, besides being very extremely ridiculously hot, um, how are you in general? How's life? Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Um, been watching a lot of Vincent Price movies for some reason. I don't know why I suddenly got on a Vincent Price kick, but I was like, you know what I want to watch? You don't I want an excuse. Yeah. Vincent Price kick. Well, and I, and I happen to own um, uh, the, the Blu-rays. There are three like Vincent Price collections that Shout Factory released um, that are like really nice Blu-rays uh, oh. of a bunch of, some of which I, some some of the films I'd never seen and a bunch of them were ones that I actually wanted to own. Highly recommend them, by the way. They are somewhat expensive, but like if you like Vincent Price, they're they're fantastic. Awesome. Um, and, and so I was re-watching some of my favorites. And so that's been nice. Very so, cool. Just doing just fine. What about you, Karen? Because your name, I think, says a lot. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I don't like men, and uh, we can, I I feel like we can talk about some other big stuff and then come back around to that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that statement also contains multitudes and, um, it works on many levels. It really does. It really does. Um, (laughs) now we're going to have a bunch of people turn off the episode. Like, nope, never mind. Oh, I mean, come on, come on. If people are listening to this episode at this point, it's just like, you know what? Fuck men. (laughs) Fucking men are just like, you know, we're so fucking sick of them. I I tell my own father numerous times, just like, you're just sitting there being a white man. (laughs) And he's like, I'm sorry. Like, I can't do anything about this. It's like, you you just sit there. You be a white man. Dinner (laughs) for my mom. I remember when I was in college and (laughs) there was one day I was really just so just exacerbated. Um, or exasperated that's the word exasperated um (laughs) by this guy that i had been sort of kind of seeing not really and i was on the phone with my dad and i just was like oh i don't like men (laughs) my dad goes he's like quiet for a second and then he goes do you like girls and i go well i i don't know but that's not what i'm talking about It's, always... like, it's fine if you do. It's totally fine. I support you. <laughs> Having any degree of attraction to men is a challenge, as as numer- as many of us have discussed. And particularly if you're if you're you know a, a cisgender woman, and you're which means that you're attracted to you know the these these men, and you're just like, why, why, why do I feel like this? Fuck this. Yes, I don't like it. Yes, but yeah. the, but in this case this week, the men I specifically <laughs> have issue with are the ones that Alex Garland just put on a screen. So, yeah. Um, we'll come back and talk about that movie in a little bit. We have some other terrible things to talk, to, talk about before we get there. <laughs> um, spoiler alert, I did not like men. <laughs> anyway. Good to know. Um, so let's, um, let's talk about what a depressing week this is for women in the media. And, um, I, I, I'm like, I don't even know where to start with some of this stuff, but let's just start with the biggest story that is still what everyone's talking about, which is the trial of, uh, Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Yeah. Uh, Johnny sued Amber for defamation for this op-ed that she wrote in which she talked about being a domestic violence survivor and sexual assault survivor, and he sued her for defamation. She countersued because basically they're ruining each other, and um, at least that's what they're saying. And so it's been it's been such a circus you know yeah. like i remember during the oj trial we called that a circus and this is this is a circus on a different level this has been like just a parade of crazy testimonies and just ridiculous things that don't, don't seem to make any sense or have anything to do with what we're talking about and i don't understand this judge or why they're allowing certain things to, to mm-hmm. happen but anyway you had some insights this week regarding this case that you wanted to talk about so well, why don't we start with you it, it was it was one of those things that you know we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago um and you know we talked about johnny depp's career and kind of some some of the things that he's gone through etc and one of the things that i realized the more that i've like 
read some stuff about the trial, watched, you know, kind of some of the social media reaction and everything is that I, I honestly think, I think the, in some ways the, that we, me, were way too fair to Johnny Depp. Um, because as this has gone on and there, there've been a number of really good Twitter threads and a number of really good articles kind of breaking down what the actual timeline is of this entire relationship, of these lawsuits, of, um, you know, their divorce case, of the accusations of abuse, et cetera. And the more that you kind of look at those things, you look at just the chronology of everything, the uglier it gets. And um, and there have been a lot of discussions about you know this being treated the social the social mediafication of this and the memification of it that it's turned into it really isn't about at the end of the day the trial is very should be very specific did she defame him right but it has turned into this like he's going on a, a PR campaign basically trying to salvage his career and in doing so is also punishing her and uh and he has this like social media presence that isn't you know specifically him but it is his, his fans his followers um and then it's kind of snowballed into this um this argument that you know is actually permeating a lot of different places like i say when i begin to see people that i know that are not particularly into social media or are not particularly into um you know this kind of celebrity thing begin to talk about this and take sides on it that's when you know that it has really gone beyond what it, what it ever should have been first of all um, one of the things that I found really interesting was the an Atlantic article that was released this week by uh, by Caitlin Tiffany, in which uh, she discusses this the the use of social media and the use of specifically of fandom and this concept of the anti fan, um, and. I think that it is actually an important thing because she kind of details the way that that specific women who are attached to famous men, particularly men that are kind of the focal points of fandom, right? So people like Benedict Cumberbatch, um, or, or One Direction, that they're like turns into the, these very bizarre paranoid conspiracy theories about the women who are attached to them. And that's kind of one of the things that Amber Heard is getting caught up in and that Depp and his, his people are using as a wedge to essentially embarrass her to to make it come off as though you know she is she was the the only aggressor in all of this and at the end of the day you kind of sit there and go like what do, how much do we actually know about this we know that johnny depp was abusive that is documented but the amount of conversation that has gone on around this and now it's like well he's not actually he wasn't actually uh, abusive he was the the abused one um, you know, there, there was a bizarre tweet and conversation about Brendan Fraser the other day about how Me Too is failing. And so it's turning into this, what I think is, is basically Me Too backlash, that we've seen a lot of these men, and Johnny Depp was one of the ones who was kind of um, outed as a part of this. Uh, we've seen these, these wealthy men being outed as abusers. And now it's turned into this, well, you know that men can be abused too. It's just like, yeah, absolutely men can be abused. Um, and you point to people like, like Brendan Fraser, like Anthony Rapp or Jimmy Bennett, and we've talked about them. Uh, but then it's like, well, but feminism doesn't support them. Me too doesn't support them. It's like, actually it does. Just because you know some of the feminist attitudes are not supporting Johnny Depp 
does not mean that feminism does not support male victims. And it, it's beginning to look more and more like that this isn't, it's obviously not just about Johnny Depp. It's, it's about fear. It's about anger. I think that it's, it is about fandom and about the, the desire not to see people like Johnny Depp turn out to be abusers. And so you make up these elaborate conspiracies, essentially, to prove that he isn't. Right, yeah. Well, and I think one of the ways that they were able to be somewhat successful at it and gaining this, like, huge following of of like-minded people is the fact that Amber Heard is not a perfect victim. We've talked about this before, too. Yeah, exactly. And she has Mm -hmm. done some things, but she's also just doesn't come across as a particularly likable person. I know I've never really been a fan of hers. And so it's easy with someone like her, it's really easy to go, oh, well, clearly she's, you know, she's the aggressor here. She's the bad one, which is not clear and it's not obvious. And it's also not entirely true Um, and not, you know, not true. And so, but it's, but that's one way that, that people are able to, um, kind of stir up ire. And so what I think was interesting in the way that that Atlantic article lays, lays out the Johnny Depp versus Amber heard of it. Um, and just talking about how, like what you were just mentioning, the anti fan and how it becomes not just about people who love him and want to support him. It's about people who are against her and want to see her go down and then those two just kind of shake hands, form an alliance, and go to work. And it's it's just, it really made it difficult for, like, I mean, we've said all along that we think that they're two toxic people that never should have been together. And that, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, and I still, I still stand by that. Although it's been very interesting really diving into it more and seeing where some of the things that are just full on lies that are just trying to destroy her have come in. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh wow. I didn't realize any of this. So this whole case is so frustrating. And then just listening to people who don't know what they're talking about, trying to talk about it is even more frustrating. Well, yeah. And it's, it's the, the fact that all of this is televised Um, And then you can sit there and watch it. And then people are like, you know, so that that's where the memes come in. You know, people are like, you know, oh, we're going to break down. It's almost like this bizarre media analysis going on. They're just like, oh, well, you know, a a real abuse victim doesn't look at someone like that. And, And, you know, all of these different things, just like, first of all, you are arm. This is armchair analysis, right? You don't actually know what you're talking about. Second of all, how you know we've talked about what abuse actually looks like we've talked about the people who are abused can also abuse people um that was one of the things that we discussed with when the asia argento stuff came out um but there is this glee with the fact that amber heard is not a perfect victim um and and this enjoyment i think of of hurting her of constantly hurting her and at the end of the day i was thinking about this earlier at the end of the day it almost doesn't matter whether or not Depp wins his case. He's won. Right. Um, because he has, he's, he's damaged her career. I really do think in, you know, five years, we're going to get a documentary about this trial, maybe even less than that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, there's going to be a lot of hypocrisy. There's going to be a lot of people being like, oh, look how my, look at what we did to Amber Heard. It's just like, yeah, just like what you did to, you know, Britney Spears, just like what you did to all of these women in the past, we're repeating the same thing. And the, 
the horror of it, I think, is that it seems like a lot of people either it. I, I saw someone say, uh, you know, just like, well, I I believe women, but not this particular woman is a yeah. really, really terrible way of approaching it right because just like well this person is the exception just like no that's not how it works right right exactly um i oh shoot there's something else i was gonna say and i just lost it oh well um see we do not recurse this we do not plan it ahead <laughs> well but i i think going back to the issue of this this anti-fan right i think it's it's a good observation the atlantic article kind of breaks it down it's one of the things that i've seen kind of tangentially in a number of, of fandoms that you know i've paid attention to or whatever i'm on tumblr um which is often often you know by the time twitter gets a hold of it you're just like oh i saw this on tumblr a while ago <laughs> um but but it's true because it's it's this very niche fandom space a lot of the time, and uh, and so you know some of the stuff about Benedict Cumberbatch's wife, or um, you know the the One Direction guy and like proving in some way that these particularly women these women who are attached to famous men are having secret love children with Elon Musk you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. it's very bizarre yeah. Yeah. Oh, Elon Musk. That whole thing. <laughs> who would have a secret love child with Elon Musk? There's only one person who was. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But you know, it's just it's it's interesting the way that these cults pop up around yeah. people. And sometimes it's about the person, sometimes it's against other people, but but they happen and it's just so bizarre. And I, I think that they're <laughs> I'm going to make this about me a little bit for a second. I think there are people that assume that I'm like that with certain celebrities (laughs) because I talk about it like I am, but I am very realistic. (laughs) Like, I understand that people suck, and I understand that celebrities have these entire worlds that we do not know anything about. And I think it's really important to, like, it's, it's funny to act like I am just all in on, you know, a certain guy who has an amazing movie coming out this week. <laughs> but let's be clear that I would turn tail and run away as soon as, like, anything really starts to, you know, come out. Well, so. but I mean, but that's that's the thing. We, we still have this attitude. And I think it's one of the issues that we've been grappling with with me, too, all of yeah. this time. Is that you know, and and these these are the more the more serious questions that get asked are you know how can you continue to love films made by abusers, films made starring abusers, the more information that you get about certain people, you know how how much more can you enjoy their films? We've talked about this a lot because it's impossible. It's it is impossible to be a woman and to like movies and not in some way separate the the reality of abuse yeah. uh, from the fiction of the film. Like at, at some point you have to do it just in order to, to continue to continue to, to talk about films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about Hitchcock. We've talked about Roman Polanski. We've talked about uh, Woody Allen, you know, and those are, those are the bigger ones, but then you begin talking about people like Johnny Depp or, um, or even just men that are problematic. 
right. or people that are problematic where you're like, well, I like their films, but yeah, I absolutely recognize that nuance of I have other issues with them. And then you get into the, do you want to continue to, to monetarily support them, to give them attention, et cetera. And everybody has to make that decision for themselves. Yeah. And, and it's, there's not necessarily a right or a wrong way to handle that. I do think that there are times where it seems really, um, uh, where <laughs> I probably do get a little judgy <laughs> on people that continue to support some, like if Disney were to announce a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie starring Johnny Depp, I would have some problems with Disney and with Johnny Depp <laughs> in that case, you know? Um, but other people, it's like, I, you know, I'm looking at Paul Bettany much differently now after this trial. I yeah. gotta be honest about that. Yeah. I always thought he seemed like, this is the problem. He always seemed like one of the good ones. And now it's like, oh, he's kind of a piece of shit too. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I mean, it's it's depressing. Like, that's that's one of the things we're talking about. It's de- And then you go back and you, you watch things. And in fact, even just today, I was scrolling through TikTok. And there was some, like, there's something about the way that Johnny Depp runs in Pirates of the Caribbean, right? And it's funny. It wasn't about... The trial or anything else it's just like the way that jack sparrow runs which is good mm-hmm. and i love that movie and then i'm like oh but it, it there is that sense of it's it's tainted in some way because of everything that's going mm-hmm. on and it's difficult to to separate yourself from that and and at a certain point you do have, like you say you do have to make a choice how much how much am i able to continue to enjoy these things to support these things and it, it is a it's a very individual thing yes um just sometimes it's on a movie by movie basis too yeah exactly exactly like, i can I'm... watch roman polanski stuff from before 1977 but everything he got to make after i'm like <laughs> no well yeah i mean no exactly like i have i own a whole bunch of roman polanski films i love his films but yeah there there is almost just this like well it's okay up until this point and then after that it's not okay so it's like well it's, i mean is it? <laughs> and that's the thing. It's probably completely hypocritical, but that's just that's just how my brain works. I can't help it. Okay. <laughs> um, to, just going back to what you were saying about you know this issue of fandom itself, and that there are we've talked about before. It's really not a good idea to make being a fan of anything, any film, any filmmaker, anyone, your entire personality. Right. Um, and it does feel like that some of these these Depp stands have essentially done that. They've made Johnny Depp is so much a part of their personalities that they cannot deal with the fact that it might be that that thing that they love, and there's nothing wrong with loving it. It's not their fault, right? Is is actually not so great, right? And and that's one of the problems. I uh, I mean, talk, talk about crazy crazy fandom. I'm in a very niche fandom. Um, on Tumblr is my own little thing and I got into an argument with someone who's in another very niche fandom and it kind of turned into argue about these two characters and then argue about the actors who played them and at one point she she was just like well if you want to be married to a man who is an adulterer and I was just like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. I don't want to be married to any of these men I do not think <laughs> about being married to long dead actors <laughs> that is not my thing like that this is not this is about like actors that i like watching and that you know i enjoy the characters that they play but if you are going into you want to be married to this like no uh uh-uh. but but that was the point was i was like okay there is definitely a line that some people cross in fandoms where it becomes 
it becomes the focal point of their lives. And I think that that's what we're seeing in a lot of ways with, with Johnny Depp. Yeah. I think that was in this Atlantic article too. And I'm trying to find where it was. There's, def- there's definitely discussion of like, you know, uh, people sending signals through Instagram. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so things weird. like that, you know, that they're signaling their fans in some way. Yeah, it was it was very, very strange. Some of the stuff that she was saying. But no, there was something. Oh, here it is. For millennials in particular, she told me she being. Um, who's Rebecca? Oh, Rebecca runs a twitter account called leave heard alone and so then this says um rebecca sees a twisted logic in this hatred this is in the atlantic article for millennials in particular she told me fans sense of their own morality is deeply entwined with fandom quote we hang so much of our own identity on these things that we love she said so if those things are threatened you either have to admit that you're sort of a bad person for liking those things or you have to convince yourself that everyone else is wrong yeah. But I don't think that you're a bad person for liking those things. Well, I, I think I, that that's just, that's the mentality. Like, yeah. I have to dive in and really, really defend it because if I don't, then other people will think I'm bad for liking this thing that they have deemed bad. Yeah. And, and I do, I do think that that's, that's, it, it's a good observation because it's the other side of, mm-hmm. of some of what we're talking about is that you're not a bad person if you like Woody Allen's movies. You're not a bad person if you like Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I would say you're a bad person if you are trolling the internet looking for clues that Amber Heard is actually a, a bitch from hell. Mm-hmm. Like, I would say that at that point, you're like, this has crossed a line, right? Admitting, it's difficult. We've talked about it. It's difficult to admit that something that you love might be problematic. Yeah. But it sucks. Yeah, there, and so feeling upset about that is is perfectly natural. But deciding that actually it's everyone else who is wrong is is more problematic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I still want to know who's a serial killer in Hollywood. <laughs> Statistically speaking, there's at least one, and I want to know who it is. I think we know who it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think that we do. <laughs> I fear that at some point we're going to find out the truth. And you know, speaking of conspiracy theory, <laughs> but still, I I'm I got a good guess. I just don't know why this isn't a thing that more people like speculate on. <laughs> so I have a very good guess. Yeah. Anyway, um, so but let's talk a little bit more about. Me too, because one of the things that has come out this week as as more of this Amber Heard and Johnny Depp stuff has, has been continuing to unfold. I don't know how much longer this trial is going to go. It feels like it's going forever. So I, is this a, is this a jury trial or is the judge deciding? I want, I think that this is a, that this is a judge. This is okay. not so, and, say, and we're now so bad for those jurors. We're, we're now into um, character witnesses, I think. Like yeah. they, they've given their statements, right? And they've been cross-examined and now we're into character witnesses. It's got to end soon. This has been going on forever. It feels like it has. I mean, I was home one random day in April 
and Johnny Depp was testifying, and he was not the first one to testify. So this has been going on for at least a month. It's, yeah. Anyway. That's a long time. Anyway, but, um, yeah, so one of the things that you just mentioned was the Brendan Fraser comment mm-hmm. and someone trying to claim that uh, that after Brendan Fraser came out with his story about how he was abused by someone in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, um, that it ruined his career and he was never heard from again, which is very ahistorical and it's actually been the opposite of that um, yeah yeah the, the whole the whole thing was about like oh he was mocked and derided and and everything it's just like that's not that isn't what happened though that's not true like that's completely actually false yeah because he wasn't mocked he was embraced people were like wow this explains so much it was a was it rolling stone or vanity fair that ran that really good profile i think it was actually i want to say that it was actually gq um i'll have have to look it up again i think it was yeah it was and there there had been talk about like what's going on with brendan fraser because he had just kind of dropped off the face of the planet um and it and people had talked about it and then you know it came out around it was like 2018 it was around you know kind of kind of the major height of of me too and he was he was supported people embraced him people were like we had no idea we we're so you know and, and i'm talking about the public right not people within the industry necessarily but the public's being like suddenly you know those jokes about him gaining weight and all that were just like oh maybe you shouldn't have made those fucking jokes because now we actually well first of all generally you shouldn't make those fucking jokes but second of all we actually know what was going on with him and and why he was having these horrible experiences and it, it was very moving. And then uh, there was even a video of like, you know, so in an interview where someone's saying like, oh, you know that we love Brendan Fraser has been trending and like, and he got misty eyed. Like, it was just like, there was all of this support from the, from the Me Too movement, from feminists, from fans, et cetera, coming out being like, bro, we love you. Like, like it's, we're so sorry, basically. Yeah, well, and it's funny because and, and I don't mean funny like, like, ha ha. But the thing about Hollywood is it's easy for people to kind of fall off the radar because especially, especially movie actors, because they'll, you know, do a couple of movies. They'll do a bunch. Sometimes they'll do five or six in a year, you know, so you see them everywhere and then they're gone for a while, presumably because they're shooting and stuff. It takes a while for movies to be made. And so then you're seeing other movies with other people and, and things. And then it's like, sometimes it'll be a couple of years and it's like, gosh, I haven't seen this person in a while. And you just kind of don't realize it. So it's like, by the time they've kind of checked out of Hollywood, it takes a couple of years sometimes for people to, to notice that they're gone. And I'm sure for them, it's like, oh, just all of a sudden nobody cares anymore. But it's like, no, it's because we just didn't even realize we needed to be looking for you, you know? Well, yeah, and and Fraser did just sort of drop off the radar completely. Yeah. Um, and like I say, there were like those tabloid photographs of of him having gained weight. But other than that, there it was it was pretty much like he had the Mummy movies, and then he did a few films, and then he just sort of faded out. And yeah, until people began talking about him again, it was like, yeah, what had what did happen to Brendan Fraser? Where is he? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you, all of this stuff came out about him being sexually harassed and um, 
and, and, you know, struggling like with a lot of physical problems um, and everything just being depressed and unhappy. And then he's kind of, he's had a career resurgence since that article came out and he's gotten back into to work and got to be on our screens and and it's been a really good thing we're glad to have him back Mm -hmm. yeah i mean he's so this is just what he's got coming up soon he's gonna be in killers of the flower moon the martin scorsese film uh he's in batgirl if that movie actually gets made hopefully it will um and then he's got a movie called The Whale, a movie called Brothers, Behind the Curtain of Night, and The Legend of William Tell, in which he plays William Tell. So he's got like six projects coming now. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was like he was doing some TV, some voice work. Like he was not really showing his face on screen for a while. Yeah. Um, at least on movie screens. And then, yeah, then this, uh, this truth about what happened to him came out and... Now we see him everywhere again. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's good to have him back. Because, yeah, we did miss him. We just, sometimes it's easy to forget that you miss people. <laughs> but. Uh, go on. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but the, the, the initial kind of tweet and this, this whole accusation so <laughs> that the me well, but this is not an unusual accusation. And that was kind of, well, that was sort of what set me off about it a little bit that the me too movement doesn't care about male victims right and that it's a failure right me too movement is dead it's failed and all that and that did kind of get me to begin thinking like okay this i mean first of all this is a really handy way to discredit a movement right a feminist movement is by saying well you only care about certain victims um and without evidence by the by the way uh, and, and of course, a lot of this has been centered around that particular account, and then then a lot of this conversation has been centered around Johnny Depp. Um, but this this has been an ongoing conversation, actually, since Me Too started about this issue of male victims. Do we care about male victims? Because so much of Me Too was initially really about uh, fem- the female experience and of, of you know, and it is simply a fact that statistically women are more likely to be assaulted. Um, women are more likely to be sexually harassed, which is not at all saying that men are not. Um, it's just more like, they're also more likely to come forward about it. And one of the things when you talk about um, someone like Brendan Fraser, part of the reason why we never heard about it is because he didn't come, he didn't really come forward about it. And the, so there's a lot of the culture of masculinity and the culture of victims generally, but men in particular feeling like they cannot talk about it because it's, there's a level of embarrassment and of, of um, emasculation that seems to be a part of that, that they, they think that it's their fault. They think that they have been emasculated. They've been, you know, treated in, in a way that men don't get, real men don't get treated. Which, by the way, other than the emasculation part, is a lot of the same emotions women experience yeah. when we are assaulted and violated, too. It's well, embarrassment. It, it's it's how was the you know what could I have done differently? There's shame. Yeah, There's... it's my fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If only I hadn't done X, or you know, I led him on, or I led her on. You know, all yeah. of that stuff. Or I should have just been very. You know, yeah, I should have been stronger. I sh- yeah. There's lots of things mm-hmm. that we we start to to question ourselves about, and so that's that. I think that's something that men and women need to understand is that. The emotions that we experience when we deal with these things are very much the same types of emotions Mm -hmm. because these, you know, 
there shouldn't be shame but when you talk about anything that has to do with sexual violence that's just a natural um um byproduct of it well and a lot of this is part and parcel of patriarchy and of misogyny yeah right and and so so even the the experiences that men have and their their sense of shame around that is within itself part of patriarchy you know you are like i say so you're emasculated you are you sense that um you have done something wrong that you're not a real man and and the concept of that because real men don't get assaulted by other people though they don't get assaulted by women they don't get assaulted by men um and so that kind of shame and there's a lot of shame that is attached to that is very much a part of patriarchy because patriarchy is about power and it is about men in power exerting their dominance over other people. And it does not matter what your gender is. It does not matter what your sexuality is. The whole point is they have power over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, yeah, so, well, let's, I didn't put this on the agenda, but let's talk a little bit more about the Me Too movement. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, I think you did put it on your agenda. <laughs> I was looking at something else when I said that. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about Me Too, which was basically started in 2017. And a lot of men have been outed as abusers since that time. Um, in the case of, of Brendan Fraser's assault, that was also a man who committed that. Um, but there have been some women that have been outed as abusers too. Um but what has happened in these last almost five years as a result of this? Like, Weinstein's in prison. He is a rapist. We're allowed to say it. Um, Bill Cosby went to prison, but then he got out. Um, and, you know, but other than those, like, high-profile situations, has Me Too succeeded? Has it failed? Is it still too early to tell? where are we at i i'm my opinion is that it's still too early to tell and and i think that a lot of what we're seeing because we're seeing the kind of backlash that we're seeing actually indicates that we are making progress um and you know and we've talked in the past couple of weeks about things like you know frank langella getting fired um so there there are shifts i think that are happening that are maybe not as clear as we you know the weinstein case in particular was very it was very public it was very clear yeah um and as was the cosby case right and we have to say cosby was convicted right he yes. might not be in prison now but he was convicted he is a rapist mm-hmm. um and and that is that is something that you know you want him to be in prison yes. but at the same time we have to note that that was a a cathartic moment for a lot of people as was the weinstein stuff the fact that we continue to have these conversations and that this is still something that is very much in the forefront of people's minds, I think is an indication that that the drive, the feminist drive is succeeding. What, what this essentially is, Me Too is part of a larger feminist movement that has been going on really since the, the early aughts and has been a response to the backlash um, with a capital B. And... Uh, and you see progress being made, but of course that means that, that the, the patriarchy then reacts to it. And you try to put the lid on it, you try to stop it, you try to make laws, we've been talking about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you try to make laws, you try to take away rights. And because 
what they really want is for everybody to shut up and to stop. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think that as long as people don't shut up and don't stop and don't say, oh, the movement is dead, we should just, what should we do? You know, if the movement is dead, what, what does that mean? What are we supposed to do? Just not, just not do anything about it anymore? Okay, great. Well, that's really going to help everybody constantly pushing forward and you see this in every single feminist movement and you see this in every single uh, human rights movement period constantly pushing forward means that you push forward through the the reaction of the patriarchy and of the oppressive system period yeah Yeah. well and i think the mistake that maybe some people have made people who are trying to say that me too didn't work um i think that they went into it expecting this to be like dominoes falling like okay you pull out one and the whole thing just goes and then that's it it's over and that's not how movements work that's that's exactly it's not a game yeah. it's it's something that this goes on for years and as long like you say as long as we don't give up as long as we don't stop pushing forward then the movement's not dead it hasn't failed it's just it's just taking a long time because you're talking about changing an entire culture that has existed for decades and for centuries and for millennia you know like it just it that's not something that just changes overnight and you know i was reading something i wish i i wish i could find it right now um i don't even remember where it was or or anything but i was basically talking about how um just evolution because women have been so held back by patriarchy since the beginning of like human society that it's basically in our dna to submit and that we're pushing back against a whole lot of of psychological evolution and that that type of thing takes a lot of time and it's going to take generations before we really see um the yeah the full shift and the and and really really true change well and that's why i think it's always good to take the long view of history and also to note the way that other movements have succeeded yeah uh in the past and and not just feminist movements but also just human rights movements civil rights movements um you know i i think there's a great quote from ursula le guin and i i can't i will paraphrase really quickly but it's um it's that when the divine right of kings was the law of the land, there was no concept for most of those people that it could, be, it could ever be anything than that. It was monarchy. It was the divine right of kings. We do not live under the divine right of kings anymore. So the fact that we don't means that, that we have actually moved forward. Yeah. Um, and, and we need to note that and we need to be aware of that. And, and yeah, I, I do think that there is the sensation of just like, well, why haven't things changed? You know, just like we're talking about something that start, it is five, we are five years into this in terms of the, the Me Too movement itself, right? This is not something that it was going to happen in five years. Hell, I think we even said that five years ago, <laughs> just like this, let's get Weinstein, just like, but by the way, this is not going to succeed within a year, guys. Right. Yeah, exactly. These things um, take time. Yeah, and I do think, that, and like I say, I think that we are seeing changes and we're seeing changes in the culture. And some of it honestly is just the fact that the anger is there. Mm-hmm. The fact that we are responding to this with not like, oh, well, yeah, of course, but more like, well, fuck you, man. Like, I, I think that that's a positive thing too. Which is why it's really depressing when we get stories <laughs> like Adele Hanel 
who was so mesmerizing in the portrait of a lady on fire by Celine Sciamma. Um, you brought this to my attention and I was very sad when I saw it, but IndieWire ran a story this week that she is not making films anymore. And she has a quote that says, I don't make films anymore because of political reasons, because the film industry is absolutely reactionary, racist, and patriarchal. We are mistaken if we say that the powerful are of goodwill, that the world is indeed moving in the right direction under their good and sometimes unskillful management. Not at all. The only thing that moves society structurally is social struggle. And it seems to me that in my case, to leave is to fight. By leaving this industry for good, I want to take part in another world in another cinema. And it's like, I I get where she's coming from. And we all have different levels of what we can do and what we're able and what we're willing to do. It's just sad when, you know, like, we things don't change unless we have people stick around and fight. But that doesn't mean that everybody has to or should or can. Well, and and I think there, there's a later quote that she has in the the Anywhere article, and the the full article is uh, from a German magazine, and then was was reported on by the film stage. But she says, "If I stayed today in this film industry, I would be a kind of feminist guarantee to this masculine and patriarchal industry." Um, and I think that so what she's saying, what she seems to be saying there is that you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be your performing monkey right Right. i am not going to be your your feminist that you can point to and be like well we're totally we're totally feminist because look we've got a feminist look we've got a woman um and and i think that that argument is is an absolutely legitimate one you know Mm -hmm. and she she's basically taking a stand there it's a very radical stand in a lot of ways yeah um and and there is also the argument to be made as well from like fighting it from the inside out but she's essentially saying like i will not perform for this anymore mm-hmm. um i'm not going to be a part of this because it's it's inherently unequal and so the the way that i'm going to deal with it is by removing myself from it right. so you don't get to use me anymore and i think that that's a legitimate response totally totally it's it's one it's, it's a tricky thing because like i said we everybody can't do this because they would definitely they would find women who are willing to do, you know, I mean, they'll find actors or actresses to do whatever they want. And that's just how Hollywood works. That's how it works with money and stuff. So you need people that are going to stay in there and push back. But that doesn't mean it's everybody's responsibility to do so. And taking a stand and walking away is also a very powerful message. Yeah. Especially absolutely. for someone like Adele Hanel, who is so good. <laughs> and will definitely be missed. <laughs> I know it makes me sad. I'm like, oh, but, you, but okay. I know. I get it. <laughs> I understand. But you know what? Good for her. <laughs> and 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 it's not like she's just retiring to a quiet life in the country. Like I know this is a woman who's going to still fight for change and be a strong voice for women. Yeah, she's so. she's gonna light something on fire. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have to say when, when she walked out of the, um, uh, the, the award ceremony for, for yeah. Roman Polanski's film, I was just like, wow, like that. And she was mad and she was visibly mad. Oh yeah. Well, she was um, swearing on the way out. Too. Yeah. She was like shouting about, about, you know, rewarding pedophiles and things like that. It's just like, this is bullshit. 
And yeah, it, and it was fantastic. And it was good. It was good to see that. It was in a lot of ways very uplifting to see that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. because it she is one of those those actresses who has been very much like, you know, kind of the Carrie Fisher joke. Well, I don't consider men people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it but it's it's that sense of like yeah I don't I'm not I refuse to participate in this. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not going to sit quietly. In other words. Right. Yeah. Respect to her. I hope that she has amazing and great life and experiences because she's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, can is going on right now, but I think that we should hold off on some of this can discussion until next okay. week because I happen to have inside knowledge that there's an article coming out that's going to be about some other stuff that's going to be terrible that we oh. talk about. So, <laughs> well, we'll that would be interesting then. All the ways that can sucks next week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So there's a little teaser for you guys. Like, just to let you know. (laughs) Oh, man. But so let's, um, we got a great question. This is a really fun question from from Keith. Um, And so let's talk about this for a minute. He said, what films do you enjoy more because, you know, the cast and crew are actually having fun making the film? Uh, it, it's funny because this one was prompted, I think, because um, I, I was tweeting about the the comedy of terrors and how much fun the actors were obviously having together. Uh, and and I, I do think the film, I think you can tell sometimes when actors yeah. are really enjoying themselves and are like, and part of it is because you could kind of see them ad-libbing, you could see them making each other (laughs) smile or laugh. You Uh see kind of the chemistry, the energy that gets going. And Comedy of Terrors, which is a film with um, Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff and Basil Rathbone. Oh my and gosh. it's a fan. It's so <laughs> funny. It's directed by Jacques Turner. It was, um, it was made by, it was produced by um, AIP, which is the uh, American International Pictures. It's, it's so funny and it's so bizarre. Basically Price and Laurie are undertakers who have absolutely no business. Like they, they are starving, <laughs> right? And Price is a drunkard who really dislikes his wife, who is a, um, who's a terrible, who wants to be an opera singer, but can't sing. His father-in-law <laughs> is Boris Karloff, who's like basically lost his mind. Uh, and, and so essentially they're like, you know, we have to drum up business for our undertaking business. How are we gonna do that? We're gonna start murdering people. <laughs> So they go out in the night and they they look for rich men to that murder. That sounds amazing. So that they can bury them and make money. I cannot believe I've never seen that before. It is fantastic. Like it is so funny. <laughs> and Basil Rathbone is their landlord. Um, and, and I like in some ways I think that he and Karloff steal the show because they have some great scenes where they're like Basil Rathbone at one point just basically thinks he's in Macbeth. And is like reciting all of these <laughs> these things from Macbeth, but the I think some of the joy of the film is actually the fact that everyone in it seems to be having a good time. That's the like best, yeah. they're they're laughing. They're Laurie and Price are riffing off of each other. They're having a great time. Um, you know, every, Boris Karloff is like falling asleep half the time, then suddenly he like jolts awake and makes this massive pronouncement. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> um, and so yeah so it, it is that sensation of just like 
the actors are having a good time with this. They're having fun doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's one of those films that, yeah, just, just really makes, makes things so much more enjoyable. Um, yeah. I was trying to think of other films where this is really obvious. Uh, Ghostbusters 2016. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially if you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff um, or listen to some of the commentary and things like, cause Paul, there's, there's one commentary track that Paul Feig um, recorded with Katie Dippold, who's the screenwriter. Um, There's another commentary track too, where I think Melissa and Leslie join in anyway. But just like just listening to that, and then you can just watch them like try not to crack each other up, you know. Like while like in the movie, there are just times where you're just like, I don't know how they filmed this scene. Like how many times did they have to shoot that? Because clearly, especially when Kate McKinnon is just doing her weird stuff, that is so hilarious. Or when Chris Hemsworth is just being. ridiculously adorable like it's it's just uh yeah like i just you can just tell they had so much fun making that movie so yeah bridesmaid seems to be another one and i i think that that's and paul feig generally seems to seems to create really good you know sets Mm -hmm. uh but but also because a number of those women are friends in real life anyways. Right. Yeah. And and again, it's it's some of that background and also those those moments when you particularly when you get actors that are riffing off each other and they're kind of going off script a little bit or making a, making jokes and you can catch them sometimes giggling at each other, right? Or smiling mm-hmm. and sort of being like, oh yeah, we're gonna try to control myself here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, another one that I've I've heard was a lot of fun and you can just kind of like the movie is a little bit less like it's not funny like that. It's still funny. But Knives Out. Oh, yeah. I believe that, that cast. Like, yeah, I've just I've heard so many stories from the set and stuff. And I'm sure Ryan Johnson is just such a blast to work with um, and just such a fun group of, of personalities and yeah, like I've just I've heard great things from uh from that set too. So and it does. It really does when you know like there are sometimes I can't I can't think of other examples right now, but there are some times where you're just watching a movie and you're just like, they must have had so much fun making this. And it really yeah. does. Um it's kinda of like a little serotonin boost and it just kind of make you just appreciate it a little bit more and and just get a little bit more into it. It feels like just kinda of watching some home movies you know in a way well i i think that it, it tells also when the actors are friends off screen yeah um if you know that they become friends so, you know i was talking about vincent price he was friends with like peter cushing and christopher lee christopher lee and peter cushing were such good friends that they used to go to looney tunes cartoons together mm-hmm. and laugh so loudly that they would get thrown out of the theater um like they they were all you know really good friends christopher lee had a hat that that vincent price gave him that he always wore on christmas um you know that that kind of thing but you could you could tell that when they're in films together even when they're like you know the villain and the hero or whatever um you you could tell that there's a really good story i think it was the first time that christopher lee actually worked with vincent price and i i want i believe that it's the oblong box and um Christopher Lee is only in it for like a scene or something and, and Price kills him. And Price was wearing this cape 
um, around his shoulders. And so Lee is supposed to collapse, right, and and die. And essentially, essentially Price like uh, you know, Price is like leaning over him and everything and checking out, checking him. And apparently Lee collapsed and was like, "Oh, I'm dead." And Price Lee never just like. I would love to stand up, but you're lying on my fucking cape. <laughs> <laughs> and they both began laughing. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. That's great. So thank you, Keith, for that question. That was, that was fun. Um, there are so many more that I can't even think of right now. But, uh, but yeah, it definitely does um, make it a more fun viewing experience. I think it does, yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, so um, let's talk really briefly before we close things up. Um, what have we been watching lately? Lauren, what have you been watching lately? I've been watching Vincent Price movies, obviously. Uh, I was also watching um, a film called Daughter, Daughter of Shanghai, um, which is a really fascinating film. It was, it was mentioned on uh, TCM, actually. And I don't get TCM, but I was like, oh, this sounds good. Uh, it's Anna Mae Wong and Stephen Ahn, and they're both, um, basically, it's about human trafficking. This is a film from 1937. The two leads are Asian American actors. Uh, the villains are all white people. <laughs> um, and it, essentially, Anna Mae Wong plays a, a young woman who's, whose father is in, this is in San Francisco, and her father is murdered by human traffickers because he refuses to work with them. And so she decides that she's going to team up with an FBI agent uh, played by Stephen Ahn, who's investigating human trafficking and the, these gangs that are bringing people into the country illegally and are also uh, the, the entire film opens actually with the, the traffickers dumping um, a, a, a load of immigrants into the ocean rather than be caught. So they're murderers. <laughs> Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating film. It is available on internet archive. That's the only place I've been able to find it. Otherwise it might be available on DVD or Blu-ray, but, um, I really recommend just checking it out because this is a 1937 film that features, uh, two Asian American actors in lead roles and in, in, you know, there's some stereotyping and things like that, but very much not stereotypical roles, That's um, particularly awesome. for the period. That's awesome. Yeah. I definitely want to check that out. Um, so what about you? Well, there are two. Well, there are three movies out this weekend. I'm actually going to see the third one uh, today after we record this. But one is streaming, and the other is in theaters. So the one that's in theaters, I already alluded to at the top of this episode, and that is Men, the new film written and directed by Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina and Annihilation. It's uh, a new A. 24 movie, I think. Um, stars yeah. Jesse yeah. Buckley and Rory Kinnear. Um, if you really want to see a lot of Rory Kinnear, you should just watch Our Flag Means Death. But anyway, um, <laughs> which, oh my gosh, that show. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> so basically, men, if <laughs> it's really hard to. It's really hard to explain what this movie is about. But basically, Jessie Buckley is a woman who has gone through a very traumatic experience recently. And she rents a house out in the country. This is uh, in Britain somewhere. Um, and 
so she rents a house out in the country for like two weeks. She just needs to get out of town. And she, the landlord of the house, it's kind of like a really fancy Airbnb. Um, and so he's, he's this nice guy, but there's just something about him that's just vaguely like a little off putting, but, um, you know, he's just like some dude that lives alone out in the country. And that's Rory Kinnear. And then she goes for a walk out in the woods and she sees this man who also has the face of Rory Kinnear, but he is very naked and he's creepy and he's following her. And then she run, she goes to this church cause she's, you know, still taking, you know, kind of taking in the sights and she runs across this teenage boy and then the vicar and they're all the men in the movie besides, um, one, are played by Rory Kinnear and the, you know, the, the intimation there is that basically all men are alike and, um, and each one is like different levels of vaguely creepy or full on like misogynist or dangerous and threatening. And I honestly cannot tell you what, this movie is supposed to be about or even who it's supposed to be for. I can pretty confidently say that Alex Garland did not make this movie for women. <laughs> um, but I don't even know why men would like it either. Although a lot of men from the reviews I've been looking at do. So <laughs> I don't know, but it, it's, it tries to use a lot of symbolism from like mythology from, uh, you know, Christian creationism and stuff like that. It's, it's very, this is a movie that's so difficult to explain. Even if I told you what it was about, I was telling, <laughs> I was telling you this, Lauren, yesterday, that like, I can tell you everything that happens in the last act. And the only reason you'd believe me is because there's no way I would make that up. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that's true. That's yeah. true. You did tell me. I <laughs> Like, it just I don't is not, know. <laughs> it's just, it's gross. It goes into this, like, body horror stuff that I I really think it's just about Alex Garland thinking, you know what'll look cool? And <laughs> he's wrong. Um, but also, it's just, it, it doesn't feel like, I think that he thinks he's saying something, but I don't think that what he's trying to say is coming across at all. Um it's 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 a problem. I did not enjoy it. It's it's not good. I liked Ex Machina a lot. And I liked Annihilation also, but not as much. Um but what I'm seeing is this is this is one thing that I think would be actually a good maybe even a broader conversation to have, but um like kind of the progression of certain directors. So it's mm -hmm. like with Ex Machina, I thought, you know, this was a really captivating story. Um, that was a film that, you know, was asking the question of what does it mean to be human, but that really wasn't the point of that movie to me, at least. Um, and it ends up this, you know, this artificial intelligence, this robot who is, is a female, uh, creation by Oscar Isaac's character. Um, she basically destroys her creator and, and uses another man in the process to gain her own freedom. And 
I thought that was a really interesting concept, a really interesting uh, story, and I just, I really liked how stark and spare it was. I, I just, I really liked the style of it. Annihilation is something else, and that, you know, it, it's women at the, you know, women are essential to that, because mm-hmm. they're the ones that go into this weird um, bubble thing. I don't really know how to describe it. Um and it's it's sort of a little bit about grief. It's a little bit about exploration and trying to solve a problem. But what I'm and now with men, it's like what I'm seeing is with Ex Machina. I thought Alex Garland was an interesting filmmaker, and I thought that the I, I was not really sure if the fact that. Um, Ava, who is Alicia Vikander's character, and mm-hmm. um, if if she needed to be a woman for the story that he was telling, and and I don't, I'm trying, I'm not sure how to explain what I'm trying to say. Anyway, I I think now three movies in with Alex Garland as a filmmaker, and he writes and directs all of his stuff. I I think that. It's I can't just keep giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think that he has some big problems with how he mm-hmm. views women and how he portrays them and what he thinks women think and <laughs> how he thinks women act and behave. And, you know, I, I just I think with Ex Machina, because that was a character that was not really human or not supposed to be. I think it was easier to kind of miss it. And plus it just, you know, it looked cool and it's this guy's first movie, you know, and, and by, or maybe not his very first, but anyway, but now that we get to this point, it's like, no, I think there are some bigger issues here that are starting uh-huh. to become more apparent with each film. And that's where I'm like, we should, you know, we should probably have a deeper conversation about that just in general, not specifically about him, but mm-hmm directors where we can see this like you see a movie from them and you're like wow that's great and then you see more and you're like okay this is starting to be a problem <laughs> like <laughs> i'm seeing a pattern here yeah that i don't like and well, that's what i'm seeing with him yeah i i mean to to talk about so i've, I've seen ex machina and i've seen annihilation i my problem with annihilation was was less about representation of women and and more about i don't think it earns the ending that it has and i don't i did not find my reaction when my initial reaction when I walked out of Annihilation was, well, that was dumb. <laughs> um, I, I'm I have a much more nuanced understanding of it now, but that was like my first, that was my visceral kind of reaction to to seeing that film. But it does feel like he's I don't want to call anyone stupid. Um, I feel <laughs> like he is trying to deal with subject matters and themes that he finds interesting, but that he does he hasn't thought all the way through. Yeah. And so he's like, this is an interesting idea. This is an interesting concept. Why don't we deal with this? But it's like a half-baked idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because he hasn't thought it all the way through, the films themselves ultimately wind up being a lot more hollow than they should be. You have to think it all the way through. And uh, some of the comparisons I remember with Annihilation were stuff like um, Tarkovsky's uh, Stalker or Solaris or, um, uh, you know, know, Kubrick's 2001 always comes up in these conversations. Um, But one of the things that makes those films, I think, 
whether you like them or not, but one of the things I think makes them coherent is the fact that the the concepts that they're working with are thought all the way through. Yeah. And I don't think that Garland is, and it sounds like that does that sounds like that's not what he's doing with men either. That's he has especially a, true with men. He's yeah. got an idea, and it's a it might be a good idea, but he hasn't workshopped it enough. That's the thing, and it's like so. When I saw the first trailer, I was just like, "Ooh, this looks interesting to me." You already didn't like him, so I could totally see why you were just like, "Eh, whatever." But for me, I was just like, "Oh, I'm intrigued." I mean, it's that. It's just this like beautiful green, you know, in the country. It's this kind of like, what's going on with this tunnel, you know, and stuff. And um, because Jesse Buckley's just standing on the end of a on the one end of a tunnel and like making, you know, the like hearing the echoes and stuff and there's this haunting creepiness to it that's just like ooh, what's gonna happen and so it's like i think that on the very basis if if it's like if he's trying to tell a story about how men are not safe like women women don't know who they can trust who they can feel confident in and even something as simple as you know, a man demanding a woman's attention for a minute can really turn into something, uh, you know, can really turn into a problem. And I think that that's where this idea kind of formed. And it reminded me of, I have brought this up a lot, but it reminded me of the conversation I had with a certain screenwriter who was talking about why he wrote Bombshell, which was the Megyn Kelly um, Fox News harassment story with Roger Ailes a couple years ago and that he his inspiration for writing that was when he was in a situation where he was the man making a woman uncomfortable and he realized like well she doesn't know that i'm a safe person and so and that was all happening at the same time that the fox news story was unraveling so um that was his inspiration for wanting to write the movie was for men to understand what that experience felt like which uh, okay um not a terrible, terrible motive, but just didn't, wasn't completely well thought out. Like, and, and I feel like that's what Alex Garland's probably first little nugget of of Uh inspiration for this movie came from was like wanting to tell a story so that men understand women's experience and what we, what we feel like and, and how it, how it feels to just exist around in a world of men. But it doesn't work because there's so many things that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it's like, he just didn't talk to anybody about his ideas. He didn't talk to anybody about what this movie really should be. Like you say, he didn't workshop it. And so there's all these ideas that don't really go anywhere. And there's all this imagery that doesn't work. And there's all these themes and ideas that just, just feel like they're plucked out of nowhere and just kind of shoehorn uh-huh. in. And so mm-hmm. as a movie, it's just, and, and of, of course there's a bunch of people that are trying to like find all this deeper meaning and, and trying to like, basically they're trying to fill in the gaps for him. And, and <laughs> Maybe trying, it isn't there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like, no, you're reading into things that do not exist in this movie. And you're just trying to, to fill the potholes and just you don't have to do that just because you like the director you do not have to help him out he'll, he'll he's gonna get to make another movie it's not like this is the end <sighs> i didn't like it 
So the conclusion to all of this is Karen doesn't like men. That is correct. <laughs> and that will be the title of my review. <laughs> Karen doesn't like men. Going to write. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, man. And it's it's one of those things where it's like still hard for me to even... Like, I've been spending the last 12 hours or so going, what the fuck even was that? <laughs> they're, they're just... There are just things that happen in it that I'm just like, why? Why? And also, you know, and, and I guess maybe subtlety is sometimes difficult to convey on screen, but some of it's just like, no, you're hitting the hammer way too hard here. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, uh, oh, man. Anyway. No, no don't, don't give me that excuse of subtlety is difficult, is difficult to convey on screen. <laughs> Plenty of subtle movies. No, I know. There are plenty of subtle movies. They're very good films made by men and women and non-binary people and trans people and like everything. And it's just like, no. <laughs> subtlety is something that can be conveyed on screen. And lack of subtlety can actually sometimes work in a film's favor, but it's got to work. Exactly. And it does not work here. So there you go. Anyway, so that's men. Um, I also watched... Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. I got home from men and went and watched that <laughs> on Disney Plus because it's another movie that everyone's losing their fucking minds over. And I mean, I wasn't, you know, I, I grew up, I was a child in the 80s. I was in high school and college in the 90s, but I loved Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. I would come home every day from school and watch it even in high school. It was so cute. Part of the Disney afternoon, you know, with that. And what else was on there? Gummy bears, tailspin. <laughs> it was a great time to be alive. And so I was like, you know, I heard about this movie and I was like, oh, that sounds cute. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's it's like this generation's Roger Rabbit. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. And one person I know called it absolutely brilliant. And I was like, that seems like maybe overstating things. But all right, I'll give it a try. It's cute. <laughs> I so I described it to another friend as the whole time I was watching it, I felt like when I have to sit and listen to my coworker tell dad jokes and wait for the laughs. <laughs> It was so much of just, like, shoehorning in all this IP and all these, like, references. Everything in it is, like, a reference to something else. And it's like, yeah, that worked really well with Roger Rabbit, but... Which was also, by the way, based on a book. Um, but this is something just different. And it felt a lot... Like, fan service doesn't even seem like quite the right word. But I guess that's probably the best way to describe it. It feels like fan service to um, not just Chippendale, but just a lot of, you know, just general IP fans for anything in the last 30 years. And it definitely has sort of a sort of a Roger Rabbit theme to it. So basically what happens is like, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers got canceled in the 90s and the whole group broke up and Chippendale haven't seen each other in 30 years and they reunite uh, kind of accidentally and then Monterey Jack, the pilot that helped them out on all their adventures, he goes missing and it turns out that there's this whole conspiracy to um, 
uh, re-edit uh, re these animated characters and put them in bootlegs <laughs> and like basically basically like get around the copyright laws by changing what they look like and so it's like the idea of it is funny and it's cute and it's kind of clever but the execution was just like okay like it's a cute movie it's kind of funny in some parts but i just it's the fact that people are losing their minds over this that i'm just <laughs> like i don't i don't understand I don't understand what's wrong with all of you people. <laughs> well, we're also currently living in a culture where people are asking, is Shrek a, a cult classic? And yeah. good point. And, you know, you always got to take things on the internet with a grain of salt because you're just like, is this just clickbait? Are you just trying to get people to argue, you know, that kind right. of thing. But also it's just like, I cannot handle the level of stupid sometimes. <laughs> If um, a movie made four hundred million dollars at the box office, no, it is not a cult. It, it was movie. like nominated for an Oscar. Was yes. didn't it like win an Oscar or something? The it first, was like the first Shrek was the first movie to win animated feature. It... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so yeah, I think that we always just got to be like, everyone, calm the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, but today I'm gonna go see Downton Abbey: A New Era, and I'm just gonna. <laughs> sit and enjoy it and probably lose my mind over that one you have fun with that i will <laughs> i love downton abbey okay i will not I, apologize I, i'm not asking you to <laughs> is there anything else that you've been watching lately uh no other than the vincent price movies my those, those ones i've been watching i have of course finished our flag means death and i am still emotionally overwrought by it uh and it's amazing how that series only has nine episodes uh -huh. there is not a tenth and it and and yeah so that's it um yeah. great <laughs> well there needs to be more there does I, need to be more i will I acknowledge the tenth episode as long as there is more fair fair <laughs> I, I do think that even if HBO ends up for some reason not picking it up, it will live on because I think that some of the others will want it because I, I hope so. Yeah, it really has. Um, it really has been a very successful show. Like looking at some of the numbers on streaming while it was while it was running, because, you know, HBO does week to week releases. Mm -hmm. They don't just dump it all on for binge usually. Um, and while it was running, several weeks in a row it was the number one streaming show and i think those kinds of numbers really do matter i think hbo kind of knows that people aren't going to give up on it so they can hold off on announcing stuff until they're you know through this the warner dis discovery yeah. merger um before they start making any moves because they really haven't announced pickups of of anything that yeah, they hadn't previously announced. So I think they're just going to kind of wait until they get through that merger and then just start making their announcements of what's what's getting renewed, what's coming back, um, what new shows they plan on introducing. So I don't think that, that like, it's easy to go, oh, oh, my gosh, it's been, like, they haven't announced it yet, so nothing's going to happen. They're going to cancel it. And it's like, yeah, but you have to look at just everything that's going on with the company right now. So I, I just want reassurance. I just want I them know. to say like, say like, yes, it's coming back. I know. That's all I need. I was like, okay, that I can I get mean, through this. <laughs> they built a big old pirate ship for that show. <laughs> 
that is like 75% to scale. Yeah, you got to use it. You definitely, you definitely have to use it. And I'm sorry, you cannot, they cannot, I don't get, you cannot leave me where they left me. Like, I can't be like, no, uh uh-uh, that's not, that's not happening. Like when I was watching the final episode, I was like, I kept on checking the time, the uh, time thing. And I was just like, no, they can't, they can't make this okay. They can't make this okay in the next five minutes. Oh my God, no. Yeah. I was very well, when I started watching very it, I, upset. <laughs> when I started watching it, I thought it was only supposed to be a limited series. And it was getting toward those last episodes. And I was I was watching it myself, but I was seeing what people were saying on Twitter and I was just like, wait, this doesn't feel like it's gonna wrap up. <laughs> and then it didn't, and I was like, Wait a second, where's the rest? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and yes, as, as we have discussed on our Slack channel, et cetera, Keiko Watiti is is actually a really good actor. <laughs> like, yeah. and I've, more people need to recognize that that beneath the goofiness and the sarcasm and everything, it, he's he's actually gives really good performances when he acts. He really, really is, and I think that our flag means death is finally where people are going to start to recognize that. Yeah. Like you said, there's some there's a scene where. He is terrifying. And this guy just was making videos on Instagram about, like, pushing his daughter into a boiling lake. So he's a <laughs> hilarious guy. <laughs> it's funny on Instagram. Just... <laughs> it is. Out of context, that sounded terrible. <laughs> just trust me, it was great. <laughs> Dad's on tour. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, just the way that he's able to capture these really terrible, like, truly terrifying he doesn't judge a rabbit too mm-hmm. and he's i think that it's been easy to ignore or overlook the fact that he's actually a very very good actor yes yeah so, that, so that's the other thing to say to everybody if you have not yet watched our flag means death definitely watch it. it's on hbo max it's only 10 episodes right now like so it's, it doesn't take very long i actually put off watching the last two because i was not i was i had been told you have to watch both of them and so I was like, okay, you know, I'll definitely, definitely do that. And then, yes, I did not uh, intend to be emotionally devastated by this, this show, <laughs> but that's what happened. And, but like in a, in a good way too, it makes yeah. me go like, I want to see more of this. I, I need more resolution for this. They actually, you know, they, they do give you a good bit of payoff, I think, for some of the things that they set up as well. So it's a, it's a good balance in a lot of ways. Definitely. Yeah. And Yes, and Taika Waititi and, and Reese Darby have great chemistry together. They <laughs> really do. I feel like Taika would have great chemistry with a spoon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's just, there's there's just that something about him. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. Um. All right. I think that's about it for this week. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Um. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for for listening. This has been kind of a rambly episode, but you know, sometimes that's better. Um, but we want to thank our our patrons who help keep this going and help us uh, help us keep the lights on. We have so many so many awesome things. I know we've been promising awesome things are coming. They really are. Um, but uh, we want to especially thank our patrons who are Adriana, Ali, Brian, Connor. Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, 
Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. And if you would like to hear your name among that group, you can always go to patreon.com slash citizendame and uh, join them. We have bonus episodes. We have... I'm actually... Okay, I'm going to announce it now so that I finally start doing it. But um, something that we started way back when on the show... Um, well, on the website years ago when we first got this whole thing started was I was going to watch every Tom Cruise movie in order and I was going to write about each one. Not necessarily a review. I'll do different types of, of things based on what the movie is. Um, but we decided I'm going to actually do that for Patreon. That's going to be a Patreon exclusive um, series that I'm going to start this week because Tom Cruise finally has a new movie out. This is the longest Yay! period of no Tom Cruise movies ever. Like his last movie was in uh, 2017. So, um, which is crazy. It's, or 2018, sorry. It's been four years since he's had a movie in theaters. And um, Top Gun Maverick is finally coming out this week. So, uh, to celebrate, I'm going to write a little something about his very, very first movie ever, Endless Love, which is terrible. And <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm not exactly sure yet what that's going to look like because he's only in that movie for about 45 seconds. But um, but that is his first movie, so I'm going to write about it. So this is going to be a monthly feature, uh, something I'm going to go through his whole filmography. He's been in 46 movies, so this will take a while. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's going to kick off this week. There's other stuff that's coming to the Patreon as well, mm -hmm. and we will have some new bonus episodes coming and um also we uh do have the welcome packs that are coming out we're just trying to put together some orders and stuff that's why that's taking so long so anyway lots of good stuff coming there we also have our zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and we have our ko-fi ko-fi dot com slash citizen dame so those are ways that you can support us with your monies but you can also just uh read what we have to say which is a lot of good stuff lauren published her northman review on our website citizendamepod.com and i also have my review of top gun maverick on there and i've got some other reviews coming this week too like men um so yeah fun stuff you can contact us if you'd like to by email. We are citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on social media, Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod and letterboxed at citizendame. Lauren, where can people find you if they would like to do so? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at lhbusiness. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at Karen M. Peterson. So that is it. We will uh, catch you next time. Bye. No, you two are definitely cops. You're out of here. Okay, hold on. This is getting out of hand. We are not cops. Yeah. Actors! <laughs> it's been us, Chip and Dale, the whole time. Huh. Interesting. My boss, Sweet Pete, he loves actors. Uh, yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> you know, I think you should meet him. Really? Meeting Sweet Pete, huh? Looks like I just took us from outside the club to the VIP room.
Wow, this VIP room is incredible. I'm freaking out, dude. Is that Jessica Rabbit over there? I'm only asking because I'm zip tied in the back of a truck. Whoa, what's with the attitude? We were about to get kicked out with your plan, and now, thanks to my sweet improv, we're going to see Sweet Pete. Oh, you're insane. Am I? Of course. So you'd rather just give up? No. Or just wait around and just let me Hey, hold on a second. How adorable are we? Chemistry like this doesn't just happen. This has got Reboot written all over it.